The Rod and Staff podcast comes out of the host's passion for Christ and his church. It exists to encourage a deeper engagement with issues that pertain to doctrine and life. Check us out at rodandstaff.org. Welcome to this episode of the Rod and Staff podcast. I'm your host, Jason, along with my co-host, Roger, and we're here to talk about some hopefully interesting topics uh, with you uh, for this episode. Before we get there, as we often like to do, uh, a question to get to know Roger a little better. Oh, <laughs> I don't like that. I have to. <laughs> this, this is just to get, to, and it's not a hard question. Okay. It's not a trick question. Not trying to trip you up. Okay. What do you like to do uh, to hang out with your kids? So what is it that you like to do when you're hanging out with your daughter? What is it you and your son like to do hanging out wise? Or maybe you just like to do it all. Maybe you all do it together or something. But uh, We do both. So my son is more active at times. And like, <laughs> you know. A boy? A little more active? What? Shocking. Different than, yeah, different than her sister. So we've done different things. Um uh, he really likes to go watch uh, the car show uh, called Night of Destruction in. Oh wow! Uh, forgot the. Uh, am I forgetting what city it's in? Past Pasadena in that area. Okay. They put it on usually every couple months, and it's just a night of car racing and destruction and <laughs> and, and fun like that. Nice. Um, my daughter likes to go out, go shopping, go to dinner. She likes our, our dates when we go together, and then go out. Um, and then we try to do things together. So they love going to Starbucks together. So we'll go and just hang out. They'll play on their iPad. I'll study and just nice. Man and ah, I like things, it. So very cool. How about you? With uh, my son, right now we're in the uh, tradition of either playing actual basketball against each other. Okay. And now I'm not taking it as easy on him because he's really good. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> uh, and if he was just a little taller, it'd be, uh, I, I would, I would not have any chance. I don't think anymore, but, um, so th- playing basketball actually live and in person, or we like to play on the PlayStation okay. where he kills me okay. regularly. And then once in a while he likes to, he likes to go into overtime to extend. Oh, nice. So he'll let me catch up, but then I don't show any mercy. And so if I can win in the end, I will. So it's poor guy. Um, and with my daughter, it's kind of, uh, fun. We, we like to sit and watch uh, funny videos mm. together. Oh, yeah. So sometimes some YouTube stuff or America's, what is it, funniest home videos. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, yeah, we she, she's the one that likes to sit and laugh with me. Uh, and I think my son likes to laugh at me. So oh, that's nice. the difference. It's yeah. good, good balance. You need that, right? It's always, always good. <laughs> Keep you humble. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of keeping us humble, our topic um, for this episode, probably another episode too, Roger, is... Really, I kind of something that we have been talking about with each other off the air a mm-hmm. lot and areas where we feel like the Lord has been teaching us and growing us. Um, specifically, the the kind of the general topic is covenant theology mm-hmm. and covenant th- theology versus dispensationalism, which we're going to even try to explain some of those topics to those who are listening. We are not the experts, but we we like thinking about this. Um, partly because we both were trained at dispensational institutions, yet neither of us, I think you 
probably were previously more dispensational. Yeah, that's true. And and I never actually fit in the camp. Uh, I actually almost was not allowed to go to the school I went oh, to. Oh, yeah, I remember you mentioning that. Yeah, because on the application I said, yeah, I'm not a dispensationalist and don't like a lot of dispensationalism. And then they're like, why are you coming to this school? And I'm like, well, that's a good question. But anyway, <laughs> beside that. Um, but we've also been growing in our understanding over the years, which is always a good thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that happened uh, over the last month or so is Roger you mentioned a book that you were reading a book that was comparing the two and so that led us to say well let's try it let me try to read the book although I, I didn't complete it not yet anyway uh, and we thought we would kind of spend some time thinking through this together um, I guess the first thing we want to think about is let's talk a little bit about our background in where we've studied or you know how we learned what we learned the kind of the ba- the basic uh, direction of the schools that we studied at mm-hmm. so that we know kind of the, the foundation the, the what's the playing field that we're on here yeah. so you you've gone to like two of the bastions of dispensationalism. i went to the flagship school and unlike you that said you're not a dispensationalist i would have said i don't know what that means okay. going into the school <laughs> being it. say just a couple of years before going to seminary still don't know why they let me in um but going to schools that my we're glad they did by <laughs> my uh, pastor had recommended so he recommended three dispensational schools okay it was talbot Ma- master seminary or Dallas Theological Seminary, and I wanted to leave California, so that's why I went to Dallas. <laughs> okay, okay, that works. So that I went sense. to Dallas not knowing that that was the flagship start of oh, it yeah. all in the sense of seminaries yep. of dispensationalism. Found out my first semester when they kept talking about dispensationalism in every class, almost every one. <laughs> I'm like, why, why is this like everywhere and yeah. I didn't really know and then <clears throat> later on learned uh, so I, I eventually transferred to master seminary and they had a more toned down tame version okay. I would say of dispensationalism okay. but most of my professors when I was at master's were former Dallas guys okay. and Talbot <laughs> guys because he stole teachers from both places so he stole wow. yeah, I mean, he admits Man. that he admits that that the First, you know, MacArthur admits he, he he called people, and that's how he started the seminary. Yeah. So it's not a, a dig on him. That was that's just a just reality. It, the fact. Yeah, it's a reality. Got so it. he brought a lot of the Dallas guys, and I, you know, like half of my professors were from Dallas, and they were the old school guys, not old school first generation. I would say dispensationalists, but kind of the the graduates who were you know in their fifties and sixties at that point, uh, who were teaching. So. Mm-hmm. Um, they held on to dispensationalism, and that's what we had learned at Masters. Now, I learned it, but didn't quite grasp it yeah, and didn't understand the comparison as clearly to covenant theology other than there was a sense of covenant theology is bad. Right. <laughs> so we're going to 
compare a little bit, but we're going to show you just dispensationalism, and you're not going to study too much. So you would you would read all the dispensational books. Right. You would read no covenant theologians to compare or contrast. You would have to do it on your own. Yeah. So I did it after seminary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which uh, I think so much of my growth has been after seminary. Yeah. Uh, seminary, though. Again, I, I don't want to knock it. I really enjoyed my time in seminary. But let me ask you this: Since you've gone to the kind of these two dispensationalist uh, schools, before we even go further, we may not be able to define dispensationalism with this perfect definition. But what are some of the distinctives so we can help our audience to know kind of what are we talking about? What is this dispensationalism versus covenant theology? What what are we talking about with dispensationalism? I think when even when we talk about dispensational and covenant theology, we're first talking about how do we view scripture? How do we view the whole of scripture, the purpose of scripture? Right. And then we get into how do we interpret scripture? What if what are the principles for how we're going to interpret passages mm-hmm. and understand the overall theme and purpose of God? How is God interacting with who he created throughout time from the beginning in Genesis to the end in Revelation into eternity. So it's a way of understanding the storyline of the Bible. Yeah. And and it's influenced by our understanding of how we interpret uh, Scripture as, yeah. a, as a principle of interpretation. Yeah. Very good, helpful kind of framework for us because the— it is really a, a, a view of the whole of Scripture that we're talking about. And on one side, you have uh, the kind of dispensationalist view, which believes that um, God has worked, can I say, differently in different dispensations? Would they agree with that way of laying it out? Uh, or what would, be, what would be their way? What are these dispensations? So the word dispensation comes from uh, 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 a Greek word that means stewardship. And so there's this stewardship that's going on between God and man. Mm -hmm. And they're dividing the Bible up, classic dispensationalism, seven different dispensations, seven different ways God has interacted with the world. And each of these dispensations, you have these responsibilities. And because of the failures, you have... God now changing, not direction, but now we're in a new era, a new dispensation. Something has now changed. And mm-hmm. so throughout Scripture, they're dividing it up into these periods of time and stewardship between God and man, the responsibility of man. And you see the failure of of each dispensation kind of building on to the next one and the next one to get to the end of Scripture. Mm-hmm. So you start with innocence. Mm-hmm. And then you end with the kingdom of God fully established uh, at the very end. Would that be the what they would maybe call the millennial kingdom or is Correct. it after the millennial kingdom? So that would be, yes, that would be when the kingdom of God is set up during the millennial okay. Uh, uh, okay. kingdom. And, and if, um, so again, we're trying to understand the distinct distinctives of dispensationalism. One of the clear distinctions from my recollection would do has to do with what they how they view ethnic Israel. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure how it plays out in all the dispensations, but the idea is that kingdom really kind of belongs to ethnic Israel. Would that be accurate? 
yes and no, because there's, of course, in, in, as in covenant theology, there's differences, right? Sure. And, and how they come together. So there is in progressive dispensationalism a coming back together of Israel and the church being one together. God, yeah. But there's always this distinction between how God has worked with the Jews and then with the church when you get to the New Testament. So you have these promises to Israel, mm-hmm. starting with the Abrahamic covenant, that have to be fulfilled. So they are going to say you have the Abrahamic covenant, you have the Davidic covenant, that the promises are to Israel, to Mm -hmm. ethnic Israel, and until they're fulfilled, God still has a plan. So you have two distinctions. You have Israel, the people, and then you have the church. And so there's a separation uh, of those two. And so they would say the, the promise to Abraham... The promise to David, yeah, these are made to Israel and not to the church, or at least not directly to the church. Correct. So the land promises for Abraham mm-hmm. have not been fulfilled. They'll say that in Joshua, where it says that all has been fulfilled, mm-hmm. has not literally been fulfilled. So sure. until that promise is fulfilled, it's still there for Israel. The Davidic kingdom, where this new king is supposed to reign sit on the on throne, the throne. Mm-hmm. sit on the throne, has not been fulfilled. So it's still waiting for that future promise. So their principle is God's promises. He does not go against his promise. He doesn't change it. Amen. Yeah, we, we would agree we with agree that. 100%. Yeah. So mm-hmm. they're saying our view as is these promises to Israel have not been fulfilled and therefore God has a future plan for them. So we keep them distinct from the church and make the claim the church is not receiving now the promises that were given to Israel. Okay. So, I I mean, that's a, it's a very interesting way of looking at the, the whole plan of scripture playing out. Uh, because in some ways, and you and I talked about this a little bit off the air, in some ways it seems to diminish the role of Christ in the whole plan of Scripture. It just, for some reason, because the church is the bride of Christ, it's who he's purchased with his blood. Um, so it's some something's going on here where the church, because the church isn't as prominent, uh, it seems to me that maybe... Christ almost feels like he's not as prominent, but I, I know they would disagree because I I, I, yeah. I I love my dispensationalist brothers and sisters, and and I know that that might not be the way they would articulate that. I think they disagree because it's not that Christ is less prominent because he is still the one who is Savior and he's going to reign on his throne when he comes back and he's reigning, you know. Believers are reigning with him, so he is still the one who sits on the throne. He is still the one mm-hmm. that is is the focus in those times. Um, but I think that that separation uh, between them, or at least at least how it looks, it's it's rather a focus on the kingdom of God mm-hmm. and all those aspects rather than Christ's redeeming work. So you you don't have this storyline of Scripture being a focus of redemptive history mm-hmm. focused on Christ. You have rather these different periods of time and dispensations of how God has dealt with his people. And then you get to the New Testament where Christ becomes prominent um, and his saving work becomes okay. prominent. But the New Covenant and how you understand that even is is 
a little bit different too, because understanding how Christ has come and fulfilled all of the old, mm -hmm. the old Testament law is very different. Interesting. And I think we even I think it was Hebrews that just makes it really clear on what he's done, mm -hmm. but they don't see it that same way because they still see a future temple and a future sacrifices. So there's a different understanding yeah. of what has he done in the new covenant and when is the new covenant truly fulfilled? Now, I don't know if uh, progressive dispensationalism and, and the old classical dispensationalism would agree on this point, but I remember reading somewhere that that I think classical would say that there are actually two new covenants. Uh, if I remember the uh, reading in another book that laid it all yeah. out. So again, very interesting. <clears throat> what I, what I want to say about what I've experienced with dispensationalism they, they want to take scripture very seriously. I will say that when I left masters, mm -hmm. what I left with was just this love for the Bible. Mm -hmm. It was everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it shaped everything we did, yeah. all the classes it poured out of them. Just, it's all about scripture. We, we need to love it. We need to interpret and apply it. Yeah. And so that love for scripture and always wanting to go back to the word of God. Sure was something I'll, I'll never regret learning sure. like that, yeah. that heart mm -hmm. has stayed with me. And that's what I appreciate about the seminary so much was they took the Bible seriously. They pushed you to go back to the Bible. Mm -hmm. Now, when we get to how we interpret it, that, that, that's different, Yeah, but making sure that we're not, you know, we're, we're keeping the Bible uh, at the center was important. That did have one con though, I think, in that because that was solely the focus, and this may sound may sound bad, you neglected the creeds and confessions of the church where they worked out so much theology mm -hmm. that instead of building upon that history, we have to come to scripture now in a way where we need to interpret it. And they wouldn't say we're reinterpreting it, but we should be able to interpret where's the verse. Let, let's mm. look at the context instead of saying, Hey, these were already dealt with and, and let's build upon that. So the lack of the creeds and confessions kind of left us without the guardrails of, uh, of, uh, of that. Yeah. But then they would say, but we're in the guardrails of scripture. Scripture keeps us in line. Yeah. But it, if we neglect how God has worked and taught, in history, yeah, we're all just coming and recreating theology every. Well, yeah, and, you know. and 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 if we if we neglect what others who are in Christ and in His Church have said about the Scriptures, how they've understood, we miss out because we can't see everything as clearly as we think we can. Yeah, uh, Arius thought he was being biblical when he he yeah. said, "Okay, hey, look." You know, he's the firstborn of creation. That means Jesus must be created. And therefore, you know, he's not the same substance as God. He thought he was being mm -hmm. biblical, right? So we, we have to be careful. What And we're going to talk about this on another episode, so I can't, we can't get into this too much. But um, what this can lend itself to is what we would call biblicism mm -hmm. of the bad sort. Yeah. <laughs> there's a... There's a, 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 a <laughs> I, I like the word biblicism in some sense that, yeah, I want to be biblical, but biblicism that neglects what you're talking about, neglects the creeds, confessions, what others in the history of the church have said about scripture and how they've understood scripture. 
that becomes a problem, but we're going to get into that probably in a couple episodes, but which is, is really self-defeating in a way Hmm. because dispensationalism is built upon those who came before. Right. (laughs) It was, it's newer. It's not as old as covenant theology. Some would argue, no, it goes back. Right. But the father dispensationalism, Nelson Darby. Yep. It's newer and, and building upon Dallas Seminary, mm-hmm. Schaefer, Schofield, Walver, Pentecost. Oh, yeah. You're building on these guys. You're still building on something. You're just not going back to some of the historical statements that were, were written and have been argued over years. You're looking at a framework yeah. uh, that's newer uh, than the past. So you're still building. You still have presuppositions. You're still building on something. I don't think you can just neutrally come to Scripture and say, you know, everybody's just going to neutrally come and say, okay, I've just developed dispensationalism as I read. It's right yeah. there. It's so clear. Yeah, you know? and and I and clear is not one that is not a word I would use about the dispensationalism that I learned. Yeah. I'll be honest, and and I loved my professors. Uh, I was at Talbot. Uh, they used to call it Baby Dallas. So, it's, it's kind of, but but I <laughs> have to funny. say that I did not feel <clears throat> as though dispensationalism was um, very prominent in our courses. Uh, I think they were very big on Bible learning the languages, the original languages. Our New Testament department was yeah. really strong. Same with our old, but new was particularly strong. So I, I I know that the things that made me go wow this is very dispensationalist would be we had to take a class called um, Daniel Revelation. You know? Oh yeah, <laughs> so, but, yeah. A lot of assumptions in there when you're l- lumping those two classes together, and of course in our in our eschatology course it was progressive dispensationalism taught by yeah. one of the fathers of progressive dispensationalism. Dispensationalism can't speak today. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert Sosi, who mind you was one of my favorite professors. Yeah. What a godly man. What a humble man. Mm-hmm. I disagreed with him, but his love for scripture and his love for God's people blew me away. I mean, mm-hmm. the man was, I, I would, I wanted to learn from him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think I w- it was as dis- dispensationalist as maybe Dallas particularly. Um, but, but you got the flavor in, in a number of the classes. What I think is interesting, um, is again, I felt like the the emphasis was scripture, and what yeah. ends up happening in term, in which I love, uh, but what ends up happening in some of the when you're trying to systematize, which they were trying to do, yeah. uh, dispensationalism is a system. Uh, mm-hmm. But what I found that was fascinating was they were very much into making distinctions rather than seeing continuity so Mm -hmm. if they saw kingdom of heaven i think that's the language in matthew but kingdom of god in the other synoptics they wanted to say those are different things because look Mm -hmm. it's a different word well but if you look at it well no that's the that's what matthew calls Mm -hmm. the same thing that you know mark and luke call kingdom of god that he calls it kingdom of heaven Uh, so they were they were i want they want to distinguish every little thing you see um, one difference, therefore it must be a totally different thing rather than mm. looking at the big picture continuity in, in, uh, in the scriptures. Yeah, that's a big thing. It, it's, you're looking at the context and often I found that the context was of course, 
you know, you start with the verse, then you build off of that mm -hmm. to the paragraph, to the book, to the Testament, to the entire mm -hmm. Bible. But there wasn't as much of that of bringing in the entire context as a helpful way to interpret uh, the scripture, but rather what's going on right then and there. Mm. Um, and didn't allow the additional context to help you in, in your interpretation. Yeah. And, and context genre, yeah. these are really important, um, hermeneutical tools yeah. that, that it, I feel like there were, there were some differences there. Now, Covenant theology, just to give, again, broad strokes, we want to kind of talk through this time is flying by, um, but covenant theology, so dispensationalism you laid out for us, covenant theology says for the most part, now again, there's going to be nuance mm -hmm. in here, there's going to be differences, different covenant theologians see things a little bit differently, we can get into some of that, but the overall kind of general perspective is there are what we would call three covenants, one that is an eternal covenant that is within it with, with it, which is intra-trinitarian it's within the godhead mm -hmm. that's the covenant of redemption and that is the covenant made by god before time began within himself father son and spirit that after the fall knowing and having ordained what creation was going to be like after the fall that some would be redeemed through the work of Christ, that he would be sent uh, and do this work that the Father has given some to the Son, and that was going to take place. Then there's the covenant of grace, sorry, the covenant of works, which is starts in the garden. Mm -hmm. It's do this and live. Adam, if you do this, here's a covenant that is of works, is of your righteousness. If you do and you live according to the commands of God, that you will enter into the Sabbath rest, mm -hmm. work, and then enter the rest. Because Adam failed, there had to be, if, if anyone was to enter the rest, if that covenant of redemption could be fulfilled, was to be fulfilled, there had to be something more. And that was the covenant of grace, which says Christ is going to come, do this work, and those who trust in him or, or there will be those who mm -hmm. the elect who will trust in him and in him uh, they will through his fulfillment of the covenant of works will fulfill the covenant of works but also yeah and be saved and enter into their Sabbath rest there's some things I said there that I'm like oh, I don't know if I would say it that way again but we're not going to edit this we'll rewind so go ahead and, yeah <laughs> anything you want to add to that the basic structure so the basic structure is there's an eternal covenant covenant of redemption and then there's these two kind of in history covenant of works that adam failed at and because of that there's this other covenant the covenant of grace and in that is the, the work of salvation the gospel that comes now covenant of abraham david etc those well we have to talk about all those but some of those fit under the covenant of grace. Yeah. Others would say that at least one, they would say the covenant of with Moses, there's a question mark yeah. exactly how <laughs> that fits and where that fits in. But um, yeah, any any addition to that or clarification? No, I, th I think even in thinking of that, so how you explain that and you can you explain the three covering, covering the storyline of the Bible, 
it's hard for me to explain the storyline of the Bible with dispensationalism. Mm. And what I mean by that is just the simplicity of what's God do, what he's doing mm. with his people. Because even when you look at the different dispensations and you, and, and you try to understand and knit them all together. Now there, there's a beginning and, and an end, but there's still a lot going on between them that are hard f- to grasp. Yeah. Like in this, you're grasping God's work before, before time he began. Mm-hmm. What is he going to do? And the overall emphasis is redemptive history, yep. right? Redeeming man yeah. and Christ is at the center. And then you have his, his covenant uh, with man that failed, and then you have the covenant of grace, and you have the first Adam that failed, the second Adam came. He Romans fu- five. Romans five. He fulfilled it all. Yeah. And, and and then you have, you know, eschatology at the end, uh, um, which isn't necessarily part of those covenants. When you get to dispensationalism, eschatology is one of the big focuses mm. of understanding all seven dispensations. You can't pull one of it out. Mm-hmm. You can't pull the millennial kingdom out and call yourself a dispensationalist. Yeah. And that's after Christ saving work. So you have, you know, you have innocence, you have conscience, human government, promises, law, grace, and the kingdom, mm. the millennial kingdom. And, and it's hard to put it all together and really understand it with, emphasizing Christ in all of it Mm. because their emphasis is they call out the kingdom of God, the broader emphasis where I think covenant theology is emphasizing Christ in all of redemptive history as the main focus. And then the salvific work he brought without neglecting the kingdom of God is, is the kingdom of God. I mean, it's, well, he's it's, the king. Yeah, he's king. the king. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's building the kingdom yeah. by adding people into it, and then you have. Uh, well, you know. and I would say that covenant theology does emphasize eschatology in a certain ways. I think what you mean is these kind of these distinctives of eschatology, and it, you have to have this particular premillennial view. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but you know, covenant theology emphasizes that Christ is our eschatology is our eschaton he's he is our sabbath rest and that is our future that's what adam was actually supposed to enter right six days of creation the seventh day the rest there was this sabbath focus it's this leading somewhere adam was supposed to enter that or would have entered had he obeyed and and passed what we would call a probationary period um he failed at that so right when he fails though Immediately after he fails, we get the gospel. Yeah. Right? That there's this seed. And the seed is going to crush the head of the serpent. And the serpent's going to, uh, you know, bite the, not bite, that's not the word, strike. Strike the, mm-hmm. the heel of the, the seed. But you get the first gospel already right at the fall. That's a promise. And that's the beginning of the covenant of grace. Yeah. Um, and that's the whole storyline of scripture. Because... What 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 happens throughout Genesis is there's the seed who, that's being protected. You get all the way to Galatians. We know who Abraham's seed actually is. It's Christ himself. And then you get to the book of Revelation and what happens? They were kicked out of the garden in Genesis 3. They're brought back into eternal Eden in Revelation 22. It is the storyline of Scripture. And I think the covenant, the you know, covenant theology 
helps us understand that most clearly. Um, yeah, there's a lot more to talk about, Roger. I know. But I'm, I'm looking at our time here, and it's flown by. I think we need to come back in our next episode and maybe tackle some of the specifics mm-hmm. of the book. Yep. And um, have fun doing that. Any last thoughts before we wrap up this episode? No, I, th- I think that's... Uh, uh, well, one last thought. Yeah. The... <laughs> identifying the seed is the name of the book oh, that we right. are reading and, yeah. and you tying that in there leads into kind of the overall and they have, they're gonna have to scripture. wait two weeks though yeah they'll have to come back they have to unless they unsubscribe don't unsubscribe don't unsubscribe, unsubscribe. tell your friends that's right <laughs> we need good ratings so people will find us right so we can build your ego so we can no? take over the world yeah is that what we're yeah wanting isn't that to do? the whole point of this is absolutely no this is for our church <laughs> <laughs> But hope you uh, at least were not totally confused by what we were saying, but hopefully things were clarified, in fact, and, and our next time coming back, we'll, we'll do our best to clarify some more important topic. If you have any questions about it, don't hesitate to send us a note at feedback. No, again, I did the at sign first. Just <laughs> feedback at rodnstaff.org. Talk to you soon. If you enjoyed this episode of the Rod and Staff podcast, please subscribe and share with others. For more information or to contact the host with questions or comments, please send email correspondence to feedback at rodnstaff.org. That is feedback at rod, the letter N, staff.org.